0: So, um, we've been doing a series called Life Together. And for those of you that are new, we're so glad you're here. I'm going to talk for a couple minutes, and then I'm going to bust you back into your groups for some more questions. And then I'm going to give you a mini sermon today. It's just a short sermon, and then we're going to have our baptism testimonies and our baptisms after that. We are heating the water, so hopefully it'll be nice and cozy. Uh, for, <laughs> if anyone else needs to like take, you know, a dip just to get warm, uh, hopefully it'll be good. So. All right, so two things we're talking about, community and diversity in this series. These are both two things that are really hard to do in our culture. The first week of this series, we talked about community and how it's like swimming upstream. Our culture teaches us you can do everything alone. You don't need help. You don't need friends. And if you do have friends, certainly don't talk to them about real things, the authentic, raw parts of life. Our culture tells us you can do all that alone but I'm here to tell you, you can't do all that alone. I can't do all that alone. We need each other. We need others, and and, and specifically the church. We need other fellow believers of Jesus that can support us and help us along. That's why we put you in sections on Sunday mornings. That's why we have little numbers at your table, and that's why we have small groups on Thursday nights, is because we want you in community with people that love you, and care about you. The second piece of this series, diversity. Uh, Very much swimming upstream in our culture. We're swimming up two streams, the community stream and the diversity stream. If you looked around in the US, we don't do diversity well. And we don't speak well in truth about justice and about equity and about the history and contemporary realities of injustice racially in our culture and in our country. So we're swimming upstream, but we believe that this is God's will and by his power and with the power of the people sitting around us in community that we can do this. That we can do this and we can be a light to the city of what it looks like to be together in diversity. So today, we're having three people get baptized, which is really, really exciting. Okay? We have three people today, Amaya, Amaya John, and Taylor, who are saying, I am making the Jesus community my community. I have already made the community of Jesus my community. And I want to talk to you about that this morning on our short time together in this little mini circle. Where, where there's John and Amaya and Taylor are saying, I'm entering this church family. I'm entering Jesus' church family, a family of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, saying to the world, to the world, when I say world, I mean I mean the world of non-believers, people that don't believe in Jesus, saying to the world, You're not my community. You're not where I'm going to go to for my direction and my support. My direction and support are coming from Jesus' church. Not Mosaic's church, not Noah's church. Jesus' church, that's where I'm getting my direction from. Jesus is the leader of the church. And there's three people today saying, I'm making Jesus' church my community. This is awesome. Now, what's really interesting, in the Bible, there's a... This is just one verse I, I picked out in the book of Acts. But the earliest Christians, they were called the way. They weren't called Christians yet. They were called the way. Now think about that for a second. The way. This was a, a line from Paul. He's actually on trial before the Roman governor, Felix Paul wrote a lot of the Bible. He's about to get killed for his faith. Later on, he ends up getting killed in Rome for his faith. Church tradition says he got decapitated, which is horrible. A lot of the early leaders of the church, this is how they died. There wasn't a lot in it for them, but they had seen Jesus resurrect from the dead, and they had said, I'm following Jesus. Jesus is Lord, and they were willing to follow him. And so this idea of the way came about because the way... They lived was different. Okay? Not the things they said were different. It wasn't called um, the things they said. Okay? It was called the way. The way that the first Christians lived by following Jesus, their lifestyle was so different than the world around them. It was just called the way, the way of Jesus. And so you couldn't say you're following the way to somebody that wasn't actually doing what Jesus said, right? And we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, here in a minute. But just think about that when you think about the way. You'd literally have to point to someone and say, the way LaRonda has that blanket around her, she must be cold, right? That's the way. There's a way that she's living where we would use the word the way. There was a way they lived that was distinct from the culture around them. In following Jesus and submitting to Jesus and obeying Jesus, That people just said, that's the way of jesus that's the way of jesus so we're going to come back to that after we do these these discussion questions in your section again we do this so you can get to know the people around you to kind of get you warmed up a little bit for the message uh please don't be intimidated you don't have to share if you're new uh you can just listen in and we have a section leader in each section to kind of help guide you along if you came in late Please do grab a name tag, Section Leaders, make sure everyone's got one so you can get to know each other's names. And we're going to give you five minutes. Here's two questions for you to go over. How is a person's behavior, and I underline that, how is a person's behavior a truer statement about them than what they say? And can you think of any examples? Maybe you, maybe you have some examples in your life of someone that talks a good game, right? They talk a good game, but when it comes to their behavior, it's very different. So, what's, uh, so, so discuss that. And then number two, what is the world selling with the promise of bringing you peace and satisfaction? And I said selling because I feel like that's what most TV commercials are trying to sell us. If you buy this product, you'll have peace and satisfaction. But just any way you want to take that, what is the world selling and says... If you do this, if you live this way, if you have this way of living, you'll get peace and satisfaction uh, from, from messages that are out there today. So five minutes, and then uh, we'll bring you back up here for the rest of the message. All right. So I hope you had a really good discussion and start thinking about just this idea of the way and about, about lifestyle and, and, and living versus just the things that we say, right? So I want us to think back to this verse just about how the first Christians were called the way. And I want you to think about what is our way today? What is your way today? Everybody has a way today. Now, I told you, Paul, who this was talking about, was killed for his faith. And many of the first apostles were killed for their faith. They were tortured to death because of Jesus. And the reason for this was the Roman Roman Empire was trying to eradicate Christianity. And between the Jewish leaders and the Romans, they were trying to get rid of Jesus. They were trying to get rid of Christianity. That's how Jesus ended up on a cross. So Jesus died, and then all these little Jesus followers just started popping up. The word Christian actually means little Christ. That's where it came from. It was almost an insult when it started. It was, we killed Christ, but now there's all these little Christs. You little Christ. And it became a... It became the name that Christians use for themselves because, yeah, we are little Christ, that our lives look like Christ so much so that many of the first Christians were also killed for their faith. So we call that a martyr. If you've ever heard the word martyr before, it means someone killed for their faith. And there's still martyrs to this day around the world in countries where Christianity is illegal. My point explaining all this is if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you call yourself a Christian, if you were on trial as a martyr would you be considered guilty? Okay, so think about that for a second. Let me ask it another way. If you claim to be a Christian and you were on trial and they brought in witnesses from your life, and they said, I claim Jesus, and you're on trial, they're gonna kill you. They're gonna kill you for being a Christian. Would the witnesses come on stage and go, Oh yeah, so and so is definitely a Christian because they are always living like Jesus. They are guilty. Or would they be like, ha, him? her a christian you kidding me yeah they go to church but man you should see them on friday and saturday night you know what i'm saying like there's no way they're a christian there's no way they're actually following jesus little jesus talk about maybe little devil right (laughs) like so you got to think about that and and say would that be said about you if you claim to be a christian would you go if you were in if you were in a if you were in a trial like that a court case okay? That's, that's convicting, right? That's convicting when we think about our, our lifestyles, and we're talking about practical things of aligning, aligning with Jesus and his way and his will when it comes to some, some really challenging parts of our life. And, and I can be real with you. We can, we can talk about things like our sex lives and the way God's, you know, and I'm not trying to shame anybody here at all. I'm saying. God has, has, Jesus has given us direction in this area, right? And he's created marriage to be the place for sex and to, to treat women a certain way, to treat men a certain way, and to treat ourselves a certain way. Satan says, you're, you're an object. The world says, you're an object, Act like an animal, and and God says, "No, I've called you to something higher than this. I've called you to something higher." Again, it's not to shame anyone. We're all guilty of 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 falling away, especially in this area. But it's to say, what does it look like to say, "I'm going to follow Jesus in my personal life. I'm going to follow Jesus in my romantic life. I'm going to follow Jesus in the, the the simply His commands." Simply his commands when it comes to my lifestyle, the way I use alcohol, the way that I carry myself. The, the, if, if I have an addiction, am I getting help? Am I, am I, am I seeing this as something that's in the way of Jesus' plan for my life? Or am I letting it run rampant in my life? And how about, are we caring for the needy? Are we caring for the needy in our lives? How about racism? How, how, how many Christians th- go through their daily life, their yearly life, decade upon decade, and, and they're Christians and yet are filled with racism, right? These are all things that, are, that, that fall in line with the way of following Jesus. And I think today our way as Christians often becomes the way of following our political party, are you known more for being a follower of Jesus and your lifestyle of living like Jesus, or are you known more for your passion for being a Republican or a Democrat, right? And, and look at Christians as a whole. Are we known more as a political lobbying group of some kind, or are we known more for the humble, self-sacrificing love of Jesus in our lives, right? These are convicting things that we have to think about. And I'll just say this quickly. Because for some, this is a bigger issue than others. But Jesus offends both parties. Jesus offends uh, Republicans and Democrats equally. And he is not owned by either one. And uh, we should be very leery whenever politics feels like it's elevating to the level of worship. Okay, then, then you need to be very leery. Watch the next national convention of either side and go, Wow, this feels like a worship service. <laughs> Just be, we need to be very leery of our way, the way that we're living. Are we living the way of Jesus or some other way? Some are living the religious way. The religious way is where we go through the motions, we come to church, but we don't actually do what Jesus did. And we don't actually say what Jesus said and learn to trust him as Lord, And I've talked with everyone getting baptized today about what the word Lord means. And that's what I want to look at here for the next few minutes with you. This is our main scripture for the day. I'm just going to leave it up on the screen. I know it kind of looks like a lot. It's just five verses, Romans 10:8 through 13. Check this out. It says, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? Lord of this earth and Lord of your life. We throw the word Lord around because we don't even know what it means anymore. Lord meant ruler. Lord meant boss. that's That's what Lord meant. In the first century, this is in the Roman Empire, Caesar declared himself as Lord. Caesar was the emperor and literally... Caesar called himself Lord. Caesar Domitian, who was the Caesar in around the 80s AD, when many of the the church letters were being written, he forced people to call him Lord and God. And on his coins, he had pictures of himself as a god and references to him being Lord and God. Caesar Nero, who would have been the the, the, uh, emperor uh, uh, just after... Jesus. So this would have been this would have been right during the thick of when the church is getting off the ground. He was those two emperors were killing the most Christians. Nero and Domitian. You can Google their names. They are famous for killing the most Christians. Uh, Many many of us, if you've been around church or even just culture, you hear the number six 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 and you go, oh, that's that's Satan's number, the mark of the beast, all these kind of things, right? So. I don't want to get on too big of a Bible nerd tangent here, but many scholars understand that the number 666, not necessarily something about the future, but it actually represents Caesar Nero's name. And I'm I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So check this out. Nero was, they didn't have a president back then. They had an emperor. Like, the emperor thought and believed he was God Living on this earth, that's pretty scary, right? That's pretty scary. And so you couldn't badmouth the emperor, or you would get killed, just like that. So the Hebrew language, which the first readers of the Bible would have had, would, that would have been their native language, even though the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek, they had a number system in their alphabet. So you guys know Roman numerals. Uh, Roman numerals. What, what's what's X? Ten, right? What's V? Five, right? and we, do this, we still do our Super Bowls with Roman numerals, right? When are the lions going to be in the Super Bowl? Like Super, Bowl. <laughs> we, we run out of letters, right? But, but the idea is that those letters represent numbers. The Hebrews did the same thing. You can Google this. It's really fascinating. If you take Caesar Nero, the name Caesar Nero, and only consonants, which would have been how his name would have been spelled in Hebrew, and you tally up the numbers that the Hebrew language had with numbers... Guess what it equals? 666. That's crazy. It's not a coincidence. So it's a numerology they were using, kind of code in their own language, the Hebrew language, Romans didn't know Hebrew, so they could badmouth Caesar by using a number for his name. The point is, that passage in Revelation, and you might have heard it in other contexts, but it said it talked about buying and selling. You couldn't buy or sell unless you had this mark, this 666. So these scholars are saying that probably what was happening in the first century is the first Christians didn't have access to the marketplace. Remember the money that said Caesar is Lord on it? Because they were saying Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. The point is, would you be willing to follow Jesus if when you went to Big Top, John and I bought out Big Top yesterday. I tell you what, that place, we, we've spent a lot of Big Top money at these fall fests, amen? <laughs> if, if you go to Big Top or you go to Meyer or you go to wherever, Aldi, and, and and you walk in there and you pull out your credit card and they say, you can't buy food here because you're a Christian, would you, would, you, would you still claim to be a Christian? Or would you be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I, I'm only a Christian on Sundays. I need this food, man. You know what I'm saying? This is literally what's happening in the first century, that at the marketplace, without saying Caesar is Lord, without acknowledging Caesar is Lord, that... You you, you couldn't be involved in the economy of the first century. My point to all this is, when the Bible says to be saved, you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, it's a big deal. Because by saying Jesus is Lord, you're saying Caesar is not Lord. So my question to you today is, for you to say Jesus is Lord, what is it you have to say is not Lord in your life? Think about that again. To say Jesus is Lord means something else has to not be Lord anymore. It's not Caesar's not an issue anymore today. But what is the issue that Satan has brought along in your life when it comes to, again, your belief and your lifestyle? If your friends were to look at your life, what, who would they say your Lord is? There's a question, right? If your friends and family looked at your life, who would they say your Lord is, your boss, how you make your decisions, who you follow after, who you model your life after. That's convicting. So we're trusting Jesus as Lord. We have three people today going into the baptism tub to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm someone who says, Jesus is Lord of my life. Mosaic Church is a place, a community of people that have said, Jesus is Lord of our lives. We're going to mess up. We're going to stumble. Or we're going to fall. But Just like in the first century, we want our lives to look different than the world around us. I I believe when I look at the world and I look at social media and I look at TV commercials and I see what's being pumped into our brains, I think most of us are like lemmings or zombies, or robots, okay? Did anyone ever play the lemmings computer game back in the day, okay? (laughs) I don't know if the lemmings actually do that, but they're this little creature where the first one leads and the rest of them all just follow. And if one falls off a cliff, they just follow after, off the cliff, right? And I feel like that's what we do in our culture. Again, this isn't to shame any of us, it's to wake us up and to say, Satan is leading you in the wrong direction and he doesn't come at you with a pitchfork, that's not how his approach is cuz you never follow him. He comes at you in disguise. And we as a culture are following him blindly like a bunch of robots. The Bible calls it slavery. Slavery to sin. And and, and that was back to my question about what culture is selling you. Our culture says be selfish and then you'll be satisfied. Has selfishness ever satisfied anybody? No. No, it hasn't. So today we are looking at Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And this is how I'm going to close, and then I'm going to introduce um, our segment of baptism. This is a, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It's at the end of John 6. Jesus just does this amazing miracle. He feeds, you, you may have heard of it as the feeding of the 5,000. It was about 20,000 humans that he fed from five loaves, two fish. We're, we're doing pretty good, John. We fed about a couple, a couple hundred, I think, over at the grill. We're trying to catch up to Jesus. But at the end of this miracle, guess what happened to all those people? They all left because they wanted more food. And Jesus said, I didn't just come to feed you. I came that you would feed off of me. Let me say that again. He said, I didn't come to feed you. I came that you would feed off of me, that I would be your life source. And people are like, I don't want to feed off you. I want some ribs. (laughs) And so they literally left him when they they found out that they weren't going to get another meal. So here's where we go. He looks to his 12 And he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Jesus is asking you that this morning. He's brought you here maybe to support a a friend or a family member. He's brought you here maybe from the neighborhood. He's brought you here on this cold fall day to ask you this question. You don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him. Here's, Here's this verse that has kept me in my faith. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So my question to you this morning is, where has following your Lord gotten you? We all have a Lord. You may not have made Jesus your Lord. You have a Lord. You may say, well, I'm my, own, I'm my own boss. I'm in charge of my own life. How is you being your own Lord? Where has it gotten you? To whom shall we go? Is your Lord better than Jesus? Is your Lord really better than Jesus? Can you look at your Lord and say, you have the words of eternal life? Can you rest in your Lord as the one who's with you in this life, through the struggles, and into eternal life? And I really want you to think about that question today. Is your Lord better than Jesus as Lord?